Now we're going to be reading through the book of John. Now today, I am just, I titled today, The Introduction to the Book of John, okay? Because we're not going to just start, it's a lot easier with some of Paul's letters because they're signed. Remember when I talked to you about 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, how we talked about who wrote it? Well, when you talk about who wrote this one, there's a little more involvement than that because John, like every one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are not signed. They didn't say, hey, this is me. I'm writing it. Okay? So, I'm going to give you a case for John's authorship. Can I do that? Because there's evidence all throughout the book of John of who wrote this letter. And you have to be observant of what's going on, okay? Now, there's a lot of reasons why wouldn't John have... First of all, why didn't John sign the letter? Well, let's just realize that everybody knew who John was, and most everybody knew who Peter was, okay? They were the apostles. When they say, when they use the term the apostles in Jerusalem, that's who they're talking about, right? Peter and John. So it'd be just like me leaving a letter for a church that knew me really well. Do you think I'd have to sign it, or do you think they'd know who's sending them this letter? You know what I mean? You're in constant contact with these people. They know who you are. You know who they are, and you're writing them to tell them this story, right? So with that being said, I want to assure you that just because it is not signed does not mean we don't know who wrote this book. Okay? Man, you guys are really quiet. Maybe I should maybe I shouldn't have led with that. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have led with that. Look, for transparent reasons, we can't be afraid to talk about things that may feel uncomfortable. Oh no! We don't know who wrote that. Yes, we do know who wrote it, and I'm gonna give you all the evidence that I can show you in scripture for how we know who wrote this, okay? So, in our beginning, the case for John, I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures, but a close reading of the Gospel of John, you will see that the author has got to be an apostle. The author has got to be one of the 12 apostles. The author has to be one of the inner circle of the apostles. Anybody know who the inner circle of the apostles were? Jesus' main three guys. Peter, James, and John. Exactly. Now, with that being said, before I give you any scripture, I want to tell you that James and John's name are not mentioned in this at all. And Peter's name is mentioned in this. So we have to rule Peter out because he's talked about as though he... Somebody's just writing about him. Now, we have to rule James out because James died far too early to have written this letter. He died in Acts chapter 12. We find that he was already martyred. Okay? So the only plausible explanation is that this is John. And I'm going to show you through the scriptures why we believe that. Also, this disciple continually calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He doesn't name himself, but he gives you a hint of who he is. We also know that there was only three people close to him 
in three separate incidents, i.e., the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, what's the other one? Mount of Transfiguration. And when Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead, there was only three people present for those events. James, Peter, and John. All three of those events, we know that they were there. So when you have them recording James or John and Peter together in all the other three Gospels, when we come to these same stories in the book of John, we have to assume that this other disciple is John. Amen? Just makes sense, right? I mean, there, there's no other way. Who, who else could it be? Well, we know there was only three people present in the Garden of Gethsemane. So it couldn't have been any other disciple. It has to be the other disciple that isn't named, right? Let's go ahead and uh, also, we know that this person was an eyewitness to the things that he saw. It, he isn't giving you hand-me-down information. He's giving you what he saw. Okay? Uh, this person had to have been with Jesus from the beginning. This is Jesus' own words. And also, this person was apparently in the, or on the hill with the women at Jesus' crucifixion. Amen? So with all that being said, I'm going to start giving you some scriptures, okay? Let's turn our attention first to John chapter 1. Now, I'm just going to start throwing a bunch of scriptures out here, and then we're going to go back and explain why these are applicable, okay? Because it's very important that you get the whole mass of information on the textual evidence of why this is John writing this letter, okay? Number one, uh, uh, chapter one, verse 14. I want you to notice the wording of the writer. He says, and the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, first of all, this is his first instance of using the word us. Who's he talking about? Us. I'm going to show you unequivocally that John and Peter did almost all of their ministry together. Always. All throughout scripture. All throughout this book. So I have to assume when he's talking about us, he's talking about him and the other apostles, or him and Peter at least. At the very least, him and Peter at, at, at bare minimum, or the other apostles. Amen? He says, and we beheld, uh, he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, we're going to go to uh, chapter 2, verse 11. This is not a read-through of John, okay? We're going point by point to show you the different points of how we know this person had to have actually known Jesus and been a part of Jesus' life. Amen? Chapter 2, verse 11, he says this. This is the first signs... Jesus did in Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed upon him. Now we do know at this point by the time that he's done the miracle of turning the water into wine at Cana that he already has at least 
four disciples. You know who those four are? Peter, James, John, and Andrew. That's the four. Had to have at least those four. We know that by all the other Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke confirm those four were the first four, gospel, first four apostles called. We know that he did not have all of the apostles at that time. Amen. But we know that he had at least those four. Let's flip way to the back. We're going to go to uh, John 19. And I'm going to read about three verses in John 19. And then we're going to flip back and forth, okay? Just, you're going to have to bear with me. I was going to leave this part out totally and just start at verse 1 and exegetically go through it. But I think it's also important for us to know how we got this. Amen? And why did we come to this conclusion, right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going. Uh, John chapter 19, verse 34. Uh, Jesus answered and said, you say this. Am I on the right one? No, I'm on 18. My bad. It happens. I got old, I got old man eyes. Don't say nothing, Greg. <laughs> 34. But the one... Uh, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you may also believe. These things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones was broken, and again the scriptures say that we look on him who we have pierced. Amen? Now watch this. He says that he's witnessing this and he's testifying to you what he's seen. Not secondhand information, but what he's seen. And he also says this. I want you to notice. He says he, that, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true and he knows that he's telling you the truth. This is, again, the writer writing of himself, obviously, not naming himself, right? We're going to get into why John doesn't name himself at the end of this, okay? Because there's a very important reason, and it's the whole reason John wrote this book. Remember that verse, John 20 and 31? Write these things so that you might believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And believing in him, you would have life through his name. Amen? That reason alone, John's not trying to draw attention to himself. Amen? Let's keep going. John 13. And we're going to read a few verses in John 13. John 13 and 24. No, 23. One of his disciples, notice he says one of them. I want you to make a note of this. This is at the betrayal. This is in the when they're in the uh, Last Supper scene. Amen. He says, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. 
So, so Simon mentioned to him to ask Jesus whom he was whom he was speaking of. So that disciple leaned back against Jesus and said to him, Lord, who is it? Now we know this story. This is where he's asking him, who's going to betray you, right? But in this story, he's talking of this person leaning back on Jesus, yet he's not naming him, right? This is the second time that he's done this. I want to read this out of the King James just to give you a little clarity. I know everybody's going, clarity out of the King James? Yes. Because the ESV, although it is a very modern translation, does not give you some of the uh, overtones or the meaning that you could get from some of these other words. John 13 and 34. Uh, in the, am I right? 13 and 34? Or 30, yeah. 23? Yeah, 23, not 34. 23, right? There we go. I think I found it. <clears throat> 22, I'm going to start right there. Then the, uh, then the disciples looked at one another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus. Notice it doesn't say beside Jesus. I want you to notice that. The ESV makes it seem a little less uh, uh, personal, okay? I don't mean to take that out of there, but it does. When you read it the other way, he's just laying beside him. It says he's laying on him. That means they're in close proximity, right? Now, this was common in the day because they're laying on the ground around the table. They don't sit at a table with chairs, okay? They're on the ground, reclined on their elbow. That's how they ate, okay? So it says, now there was one, uh, there was one leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, okay? Now this phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved, shows up about five other times in this gospel, okay? It's a clue for you to understand this guy was part of this inner circle, amen? Couldn't have been nobody else. There's only so many people that was that close to Jesus to be able to be the guy leaning on Jesus, okay? Let's keep going. Uh, where's the next one? Go back to chapter 19. I could have read the whole chapter of 19, but I figured it's easier just to uh, use the bits that we need and leave the rest for later because we're going to be preaching through this, right? Verse 25. We're going to read verse 25 through 27. Verse 25 says this, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister. Now, if you don't know who uh, James' mother's sister is, you want to know who it is? Salome. We find her name in two of the other crucifixion accounts. Her name is Salome. She's James and John, the sons of Zebedee's mother. Mary's sister. Okay? Are we clear, clear on that? So we know who this woman is. Okay? Now, let's keep going before I lose track of where I'm at. Which I already did. It's too late. 
But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples, the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that, and from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, I want to give you some Jewish background. When a woman who has no husband, last son would die, she had one of two options. She was going to be on the street or another family member male would take her in. That's how it worked. So it wasn't no surprise to me understanding that Mary and her sister Salome were there that Jesus would look at John, someone related to him, and say, woman, behold thy son, son, behold thy mother. Amen? This is not hard concepts. This is not stuff that we're pulling out of the air. This is real life things that happened back then. Amen? How, how do I know this kind of stuff happened all, all the time? Just remember the story of Boaz. What did Boaz do? Took in uh, somebody else's wife, right? Or mother, right? Why? Because he was related to her anyway. Notice that's what they said. This is her distant relation, and he took her in. Why? It's commonplace to do that. Amen? Come on. Now, verse. Uh, let's turn to chapter 20. Just flip the page, chapter 20. We got a whole bunch more. I ain't done. You think I you think that's all the ammunition I came with? You got another thing coming. You know me way better than that. Uh, chapter 20, verse 2 through 9. Now, this is another instance, and we could start at verse 1. This is another instance where we're going to see this other disciple tied to Peter. Watch this. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, not others, other disciple, right? Now watch this. The one whom Jesus loved also names him again as the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out and the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Now, in this story, we know for facts who went to Jesus' tomb and who stepped in the tomb and who went in, right? We have in the other three Gospels, we know it was Peter and John that went to the tomb. We know that they both looked in, went in, however that looked, they were both there. Amen? So I don't have to speculate at this point just because he's saying the other disciple and doesn't want to put his name in there. Doesn't mean that we can't surmise from the other three Gospels that this is John. Right? Now you go, well, just because it's John doesn't mean it's John writing this. Oh, yeah? Yeah? Let's read another verse. Go to chapter 21. 
I want to see if I want to read seven or not. We can read seven. It's uh, kind of irrelevant, but it ties him and Peter again. It says in verse seven of 21, that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped uh, stripped from working and threw himself into the sea and we know this is jesus appearing to them on the seashore right jesus is walking on the seashore and the other disciples say hey look it's the lord and peter's like oh i'm going to see him right jumps in the water swims over there to him right now you're still going you're still going pastors still haven't proved that this disciple who jesus loved is the one writing this letter i'm glad you said that because I got evidence. You want it? You're too quiet. Do you want some evidence? Yeah. Okay, let's read verse 24 through 20, uh, 20 through 24 in chapter 21. I want you to notice these words, okay? <clears throat> Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Okay, I'm going to start right there. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one also that had laid back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? Now notice that Peter is now tying the disciple whom Jesus loved to the man that laid his head on Jesus at the Last Supper, right? Now watch this. Jesus said to them, if it is my will, uh, oh, excuse me. Verse 21, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what is this man? Jesus said unto him, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say unto him that he would not die, but it was but if it was my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? Now watch this. This is the key verse. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who's written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Booyah. That's the, that, enough said, right? We already know through the paper trail that John is this guy. There's no other person that was at the, the, the crucifixion of Jesus. There's no other person that was at the, the Garden of Gethsemane. There's no other person that was in the, the, the daughter Jairus' room. There was no other person that was uh, at the, uh, what's, what's the other one I'm forgetting? The Mount of Transfiguration. And you go, well, that ain't mentioned in here. I'm going to show you that. But we can tell from this verse. This is just textual evidence. I'm not even giving you historical evidence for this, okay? This is just textual evidence of who wrote this book, okay? And he's claiming that the guy writing this book is the same guy that was the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And the disciple whom Jesus loved is mysteriously in three different spots in this story that only John would have been in. So there's no reason not to think that it's John. Matter of fact, 
We know that if it was anybody else, if they don't meet the criteria of being an apostle, one of the 12 in the inner circle, being an eyewitness, it could not possibly have been written by anybody but John. John was the only one that had been there from the beginning. You go, well, you keep saying, why does that matter? Why does that matter that he's there from the beginning? Go with me to uh, John 15, 27. These are Jesus' own words, and I want you to read them with me, okay? John 15, 27, he says this. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from the Father. Am I? I'm in the wrong one. Chapter 16, not chapter 15, not 16. I know where I'm going. There we go. I found it. Sorry. And you will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. He was not saying this. To anybody except the apostles. This verse, you have been with me from the beginning. Well, who's been with him from the beginning? Who was the first four? Peter, James, John, and Andrew. That's the first four that were with him from the beginning. And notice those first four that were with him from the beginning were also the first four main apostles. Every time they write the apostles' names down, they write it the same way. When they give you a list of who the apostles were in the scripture, it's always written the same way. With those four men first. Every time. Why? Because they were the first that were with him from the beginning. Amen? Let's keep going. I'm not done. I got more. Uh, flip back to uh, chapter 18. Here's, some, here's a good one. I like this one, and I didn't, I didn't uh, read it yet on purpose. Verse eight, uh, chapter eighteen, verse fifteen and sixteen. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside of the door, and the other disciple, who was known by the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door. Notice, here is Peter and this other disciple again. This is a reoccurring theme, okay? It reoccurs even after Jesus is raised from the dead. Peter and John do most of their work together. One more in... in uh, no, I'm done with this one. Good, good. Uh, I want to make note of something else. Before this Passover in John, if you go read Luke's gospel and Mark's gospel, Peter and John were the two that were sent to go prepare Passover. Remember that? He sent two of them ahead into town to prepare for this Passover. Who was it? Peter, John. Keep going. If you look at the evidence of Peter and John throughout Scripture after the resurrection of Christ, you see this. Acts chapter 1, verse 13, they were in the upper room together. Acts chapter 3 and 4, you see them preaching and proclaiming gospel together and going to jail together. In Acts chapter 8, verse 14 through 25, they are sent to go pray for the church 
that the people who had believed on Jesus but had not received the Spirit yet. Now what it said? And James or Peter and John went to pray for them. Amen. Next, Galatians two and nine. When Paul is talking about going back to Jerusalem, who were the two apostles that he talked with? Peter and John. Amen. So anytime in this book of John that you're seeing Peter doing something, John is right there with him every time. Now this is nearly all the textual evidence that I have for you, but I also wanted to point out a few other things. We know that Jesus was part of, uh, or that John was part of Jesus' inner circle and one of the closest of the three disciples. And I got a whole bunch of uh Verses from Mark, if you want to write these down, Mark chapter 3, verse 16, verse 17, Mark chapter 9, verse 2, Mark chapter 14, verse 33. So we have evidence in Mark of who the inner circle of Jesus' disciples were. Now, who's Mark? Anybody know who Mark is? Mark is Peter's disciple. His name was John Mark. He's Peter's disciple. He wrote the book of Mark. So when Mark gives you his account, he's giving you exactly what he heard from Peter. Okay? Now watch this. I want you to notice that in the book of John, there's certain details that only somebody present would remember. Okay? For instance, every other gospel tells you that Somebody got their ear cut off, but they don't tell you who. John gives you a name. John gives you a name because John was there, and John remembered it. John also remembers many details all throughout this book that only an eyewitness person could know. Because you had to have actually been there to see it, to attest to it. Which is why I say the person who wrote this gospel had to be an eyewitness. There's no other way around it. He had to have seen it. He had to have been in such close proximity that he would have heard lots of things said that we don't have in any other gospel. Notice, no other gospel has that whole chapter 17 where Jesus prays for himself to God to glorify him. And then he prays for the church. Then he prays for those who will believe in their name, in his name through the preaching of the apostles, right? So he prays for those three separate groups of people. Why don't we have that prayer in any other one? Because John was one of the people close enough to hear it. I mean, I don't know many of you sit in your house and just pray like this. Oh, God, thank you for that, Lord. Most of the time, we don't do that. Most of the time, when we pray, we're just praying. We're like, Lord, thank you for this day. I'm leaning beside my bed, right? I'm talking to the Lord. I'm, I'm praying. So the only way John heard these things is that John was close enough to know what was being said. And he gives it in great detail what Jesus prayed for. Amen? Why? Because he was right there. Amen? Lastly, as far as textual evidence, now we talked about Jairus' daughter, the Mount of Transfiguration, the Garden of Gethsemane. Also want to note that at the beginning when we read uh, John chapter 1, it says, uh, we beheld his glory. 
as of the only begotten of the Son, this could be a reference to the Mount of Transfiguration. Because you got to understand, they saw Jesus as a man for quite a while, you know, follow him as a teacher, follow him as a rabbi, and then one day they realized he was the Christ, and then they saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. So when he's saying, we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, he's leading us into that, okay? Now you go, well, how come Peter didn't say anything like that? Oh, didn't he? Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Because Peter makes mention of seeing this glory the same in not so many words, but the same phrases, okay? Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 16 uh, 1 Peter, 1 Peter. No, 2. You're right, you're right, you're right. I was in. Hey, man. I'm just trying to get it all in before we have to leave, okay? I don't know. 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 16, okay? Everybody there? Say amen. amen. All right. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born uh, to him by the majesty of uh, the majestic glory of God, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice and bore witness from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. I'm going to drop the mic again, but I don't want to break it. What holy mountain? Well, they weren't on the temple mount when they did that. They were on the mount that they went to to pray. And Jesus was transfigured. Do you remember? That's another point of scripture where he said, this is my beloved son. Because I know y'all thought about the baptism of Jesus when you, when you heard that. But you got to remember, God spoke, the Father spoke at the Mount of Transfiguration too. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Right? Come on. I'm just telling you. These guys are telling their story of what they saw. Just like you can tell that Peter was an eyewitness to these things, you can also see that the writer of John has got to be John, and John was an eyewitness. We know that only John was on the Mount of Transfiguration. John, Peter, and James. It's only three guys on the Mount. Amen? All right. I'm going to leave it alone. I've got one more verse, and I'm going to give you some, uh, some uh, textual evidence or some uh, historical evidence okay uh first john chapter one now this first john just like the book of john first john second john and third john are not signed why would they be he didn't sign the gospel why would he sign this little letter right <laughs> make no sense everybody knew who he was now watch this 1 John chapter 1, we're going to read 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. 
the light that was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify of it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ and we are writing these things so that our joy uh, so that our joy may be complete or your joy. I think it says in the King James, right? Yeah, okay. King James says your joy. The reality is John is writing all of these letters. Amen? Can't be any other eyewitness. And we know by the time that this letter was written, there were very few eyewitnesses left. John was the last eyewitness to write anything. All the other apostles died, were martyred, right? Impossible. Now I'm going to give you some historical accounts. So most of the time we believe only if we got somebody else that says, oh, no, we believe that's it, right? I'm going to give you the closest person to the author of the book of John. His name is... Polycarp. Anybody know who Polycarp is? Polycarp lived. He was born in 65 AD and lived to 155 AD. Polycarp, about the time that he wrote this, would have been 40, 35, 40, when he was discipled by John. Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John and was also a friend of the Apostle John. And Polycarp taught his two disciples that John wrote these letters. That's what he told them. This is his words. You can go look it up. So Polycarp, the disciple of John, who we know was a disciple of John, who we have historical verified record that he said the book of John was written by John the Apostle. Then we have his two disciples, Arrhenius, Arrhenius, however you want to say it, and Tertullian. You know those. Now, Arrhenius lived from 130 AD to 202 AD. Tetralin lived from 155 AD to 220 AD. These were both disciples of Polycarp, and Polycarp taught them that John wrote this I don't think you guys realize how important that is, that a guy that lived within 50 years of John dying, who was discipled by John, says that John wrote these letters. I don't know what else you need after that. You know, if my brother was like, uh, I died, and he's like, no, Kevin wrote this letter, and everybody's like, oh, I just don't believe Kevin wrote that letter. Well, my brother would look at you like you were dumb because he knew I wrote the letter, Right? Polycarp, you couldn't stand up here and tell Polycarp, I don't think John wrote that letter. He'd look you in the face and probably look at you like you were stupid because he knew John wrote the letter. Matter of fact, there's a very good chance that Polycarp delivered these letters to where they were going. you got to realize he was born 65 AD. How, how many of you know about the time frame John the Apostle died? It was around 100 AD, Okay. Around 180, he was probably 93, 94 years old when he died, okay? 
So this guy was being discipled at a point in time where John was getting elder in his years, and John obviously had to pass the torch on to somebody, right? We know who that was. It's not a, it's not a mystery. It was Polycarp. And he said, hey, John wrote these letters. Arrhenius says the same thing. Tetralin says the same thing. Clement of Alexandria, who lived from 150 A.D. to 215 A.D., testifies to the same thing. Origin of Alexandria, who lived from 184 A.D. to 254 A.D., testifies that John wrote this book. Hippolytus of Rome, 170 A.D. to 235 A.D., testified that John wrote this book. Now we have one, two, three... Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six guys. We have six men who lived within a hundred years of the Apostle John testifying that John wrote that letter. That's important. It's also important for you to realize how far the gospel spread. Do you realize where Alexandria is? Egypt. You realize Rome is obviously in Italy, right? So the gospel is spread this far. Tetralene, or whatever his name is, Tert Tertullian was in Africa. Origen was in Africa. Clement was in Africa. These people were already spreading the gospel this far away, and they're testifying to you. We have their letters. You can go, you can go get online and buy a book of Origins Ancient Works right now for like 10 bucks. You can read what he wrote. It's not a mystery. Okay. Finally, with that evidence, we also have actual fragments that we can go back to that have uh, writings attesting to this to being John. One of which I only wrote one of them down. The mere uh, let me try to say this right. Muratrian fragment that dates from 170 AD testifies that John wrote the book of John. Amen? Now, I spent a lot of time on that, and you're going, man, that's a bunch of information I'm never going to use. I just want you to know 100% why almost every single scholar on the planet just says John wrote this book. Because it's almost overwhelmingly evident that John had to have written this book. Amen? Amen? Now, let's get to the meaning of the book. I want to go through just a couple things real quick before we close. Some themes that we're going to go through as we read through the book of John. We're going to see that Jesus is God. John's book teaches that Jesus is God teaches that Jesus existed before the creation of the world. John teaches that Jesus had supernatural knowledge of situations. Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. We learn here seven different times Jesus saying, I am. In other words, I am God. Amen. He's declaring his deity. When he says this, he's not using Greek words. He's using Hebrew words that I am. He's using the same acronym that they would use to talk about the Father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen? Amen. Jesus 
Uh, we're also going to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish festivals and institutions, including the temple. Jesus is the giver of eternal life. The signs of Jesus show that he is the Messiah. Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God is an important topic all throughout this book. The witness of Jesus to testify, the witnesses to Jesus that testify that he is the Messiah. We're going to learn that there is a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit in this book. They're united in their work of redemption. Jesus' death is the basis of our salvation. God is sovereign over salvation. We learn that in this book. Salvation is obtained through believing in Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God. Believers can experience this benefit of saving grace even now. And believers are called to continue Jesus' mission that others would believe. Amen? So in bearing all this in mind, we're going to go and read John 20 and 31 one more time as we close. Now, I know I don't normally do this, and I normally don't give such a, a whole sermon for an introduction to a book. But I thought it was important, especially for people who don't know, that maybe, maybe you come here this morning, or they're going to listen or watch on Facebook and go, I had no idea it was an anonymous letter. Right? But I want to assure you, just because it wasn't signed, it doesn't mean we don't know who wrote it. Amen? Didn't take a detective if I can do it, okay? <laughs> if little old me from Cogville, Kansas can, can search the scriptures and see for myself, then so can you. Amen? It's not hard. God didn't put a, a, a big secret out here that nobody's supposed to find. He put it in there so you can find it. Amen? All right, John 20 and 31. This is his whole purpose statement, and I actually like reading 30 along with it. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. That could be another point that you could make that the writer of this book had to be a disciple or it wouldn't have, he wouldn't have been present, right? He did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you will have life in his name. That's the whole purpose of this book. John didn't even write you a chronological order of things. He didn't spell out every detail. Matter of fact, he, he makes mention that he did not write down everything, all the signs that Jesus did. He said he wrote down the ones that would be applicable for you to learn that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you could have life in his name. Amen? Let everybody stand. I know this isn't the normal everyday sermon, and you're like, I could have uh, paid $29.95 and, and went through a class on, you know, the book of John and learned all that. I saved you money, okay? You got that for free. You got that for free. Amen. I think it's important for us to understand the reason John wrote the book. You're going to see Christ lifted up in this book like he's 
not lifted up in the other four Gospels. Amen? In this book, you see him lifted up over and over as Christ, as King, as God. Amen? And the purpose John wrote the book. All the other guys, we don't, we don't necessarily know all the other guys why they wrote the book. We know Luke was writing to his friend and said, hey, I'm writing you this book so you'll have a good account of what Jesus did and what he taught. This book, John said, I wrote all these things so that you would know that Jesus is the Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we, we don't know the hearts of those who are in this room. We don't know the hearts of those who are watching on Facebook or who are going to listen to the podcast. God, we don't know their heart. God, we've laid out a case for uh, the authorship of John for this book and made mention the reason that John has made this book, who, why he wrote it, God. And Lord, we don't know if there's somebody in this room today or watching on Facebook, Lord, that they don't know that Jesus is the Son of God. Lord, if today was the first day that they ever heard that Jesus could be the Son of God, that they could have life in his name, Lord, I pray that you would continue to minister to those hearts, that you would call them, woo them, draw them to yourself, Lord. Let them come to faith in the one and only name that can save anybody. There's no other name under heaven or earth whereby men must be saved other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, Lord, today, as we begin our study of this book, as we begin pouring over this book and understanding the truths that you have placed in it for us, Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to have our hearts and minds focused on you, and that if anybody watches these messages, Lord, that doesn't know you, that you would use these messages to reach their heart, God, that they would hear the word and they would believe and come to faith in Christ. Lord, we pray that you would bless the food that we're about to partake of. Pray that you would bless our fellowship, that you would be lifted up. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.